What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Plastics Podcast. You're here with me, Blair Lacrosse, and Jacob Burke. Mahalo. This week, Manchester City edged out Chelsea in a rough-and-tumble headline match. Leeds and West Ham are led by Rafinha and Ben Rama in a thrilling up-and-down contest. Brentford show they're the real deal in a gold jubilee with Liverpool. Raul Jimenez shows his quality at Southampton. And the North London Derby, Derby, goes red with Arsenal victory over Tottenham. Let's go. Jacob, how's it going? Gosh, Blair, it's going all right. For those of you that are looking, you can see some uh, redecorating just happened from episode one on YouTube to episode two. Blair, can you take us through these fantastic looking set uh, setups? Nope, the uh, fantastic looking ornamentals. Yeah, yeah. So we got the uh, NYC FC scarf on the left here. You can see because that's what it is and uh we got a nice checkered pattern i actually very much like it it's it looks orange really nice. for the traffic cones everywhere in the city that makes sense yeah i think <laughs> and then blue and kind of like a tan yeah it's the city colors for sure yeah 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 we've got the uh obviously the the shirt uh this is last year's shirt for nycfc i Ye- believe uh maddie can you confirm yes yeah yeah and then obviously we got the Liverpool scarf, uh, top class. Yeah, looks good. This one conspicuously missing from the from the thing. Yeah. Anyway, my week, uh, it's been good. What's happened? What's happened this week? We went to a soccer game, Jacob. We, we did. Yeah, we did. Professional uh, soccer yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, professional. They get paid to do this stuff. Actually. Major league. Yeah. Soccer. Major key. Right, someone says major key. We attended the Hudson River Derby at the Yankee Stadium, where NYC FC faced the and uh, New York City Red Bulls, the two soulless corporations facing <laughs> off against each other in a match for the ages. Intramural <laughs> soccer, <laughs> Rosin Ball Sport against Citigroup. Yep, and uh, Rosin Ball Sport won uh, in a dreadful game uh, that was in my... Uh, but I think you guys would agree with me. It was officiated terribly. It, it was bad. Yeah, it wasn't good. It, it was a nice evening out, though. You know, it was. who can say if it was a, a mistake? I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, Jesus Medina. Yeah. You're my guy. All right. We love you. All right, Jacob, do you want to get into this? Yeah, it's 9 p.m. thereabouts. We're recording. Blair... You couldn't record at the normal time because you were seeing a really artsy movie. Yeah, sort of. Can you give us, uh, in rough description, nothing too detailed, uh, what that was about? Yeah, it was, it was a movie directed by Paul Verhoeven called Benedetta. Um, and it's about this girl who joins a nunnery, I Convent. guess. Convent, yeah. And let's say she has a certain sexual awakening while she's there. She went to the convent. Uh-huh. To escape the men in her life, but it wasn't the men she should have been worried about. <laughs> her parents brought her there when she was like eight. Oh, so she had okay. This had nothing. To, she was yeah. a child, yeah. a small, yeah, child. And then she like grows. You know, it skips ahead eighteen yeah. years, and yeah, she because like the whole like concept is like when you're around only women. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's what happens, but like yeah. the the whole thing with like being a nun is like you're married to Jesus or you're married to God or yeah. So like that was kind of the idea that it was playing with a little bit. Gotcha. And was it I mean, was it did you enjoy the experience? Yeah, it was a good movie. Okay. Yeah, it was entertaining. Paul Verhoeven makes um 
I mean, he makes sort of controversial movies at times. He uh, directed RoboCop. The which one? The first one. Okay, not the shitty remake. I don't think so. Okay. The biggest thing I don't, I didn't I didn't really know anything about the movie. I just knew that when you got there, there were protesters outside the movie. Yeah. So there were some Catholics there that didn't like the uh, depictions of the convent and what was going on in there kind of uh saying that you know these things were what's the word not is it heresy is that the one i'm looking for Her, uh heresy is against the the king the word or uh, the lord yeah so they weren't happy with what was happening yeah okay. but yeah i don't know it was a uh, blasphemous that's the word yeah blasphemy i i, I mentioned that because i have never gone to a movie that has been protested before and i think that's kind of unique yeah it was it was a new one they were playing bagpipes and they had drums and <laughs> they were singing songs and doing prayers so if anything i think bagpipes are like not the one that because that just attracts way more attention like the yeah streisand effect yeah it's yeah like, exactly oh, what's what's this movie that's exactly what i was saying like this guy and i were talking in line and i was like man people are probably walking by thinking what's this whole movie about? Yeah. Maybe I now <laughs> want to see what the controversy is all about. And now more people are going to go to the movie, which is not the intended effect. I think not so. the same thing remotely, but it's like walking past like new star Wars premiere and you see like stormtroopers dressed up outside or like Jedi or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, they're like just framing the movie opening. Yeah. 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 They're, they're part of it. Yeah. <laughs> they're paid actors. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, anyway. Yeah, let's get into it. Blair, what do you want to start us off with? The big one this weekend, I think, was uh, City Chelsea. Chelsea 0, Manchester City 1. Any overriding thoughts, Jacob? Overriding thoughts going into this? This game was framed as the two heavyweights for the title. And so people were really looking forward to seeing, one, how Tuchel and Guardiola would do against each other after the Champions League final, right? Tuchel got the better of Guardiola yet again. Uh, Guardiola sputtered out of the Champions League yet again. And now this was an opportunity to for A, Tuchel to just really put his foot on Guardiola's throat or for Guardiola to make a comeback. And it looks like, you know, from the uh, game we watched, uh, the City defense was, it, w- it was good. It was really solid. Yeah, I mean, there's two teams coming into this match. You need two teams for any game. And um, in this one, <laughs> Chelsea, I think you would have expected to have been the ones who would have had the better defensive showing uh, on the day then, and then City did. I mean, they only conceded one goal, so it's not like the end of the world. But yeah, City certainly suffocated Chelsea uh, when they had the ball, which was, yeah, so, I mean... City, City maintained a 60% possession rate. So Chelsea had enough of the ball but Mm -hmm. they were aggressive in their pressing and you can see that because uh, chelsea only managed 346 passes to city managing around 544 so yeah they were they were trying to play around um you made an observation during the game where timo werner just didn't look like he was up to it all right so timo i don't have a problem timo werner or really even picking him um I think that basically what they were trying to do was use Werner's speed to counter with and to have him basically carry the ball up the field and to tandem with Lukaku. And 
I think that the issues that they seem to be having as a as a pair was that one they were frequently outnumbered by Chelsea or I'm sorry City defenders. Uh, Chelsea weren't really committing a lot of men forward. It seemed like it was, they were just leaving their two strikers kind of out there to do their own thing. They had just two commandos out there. Yeah, and all alone. You know the war paint on Lukaku and Werner. Yeah, they were yeah they were uh, going Rambo mode, <laughs> except they didn't have any bullets in their gun. No, no. Yeah, because they didn't have guns. They didn't. They're on a soccer field. Yeah, which <laughs> maybe that's something that MLS will adopt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're kind of more uh, open with. <laughs> Our gun usage in this country. <laughs> the, the, the citizen app in New York City might agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there was there were a few moments where, like, it seemed like the break was on. And Verner, I mean, Verner's very fast, even with the ball at the feet. Incredibly um, quick. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, his kind of, you know, marquee trait as a attacker. Um, but he would kind of be forced off into less dangerous areas, like, out on the wings. And the distances between Lukaku and Werner seemed to be, you know, too too wide. You know, they weren't able to really work together. Um, and you didn't really see that remedied until Kai Havertz came out in the second half, I, I thought. So, yeah, their, their kind of counterattacking strategy seemed to be, I guess, sort of lacking any sort of teeth. Yeah, there was a few moments, though, right? They had it fizzled out almost entirely after like a 30 minute mark. Uh, you didn't see really anything, but there were like two or three moments where they managed to get Werner down a flank and he was able to lay off a ball to Lukaku. And that looked like it could have worked. It's just that Lukaku kind of let himself down there at the very end, or they just simply had too many people, defenders with them around the box. And so it just didn't amount to anything. So I think, I think Tuchel had that thought where he said, you know, I don't care what Pep is going to do pressure-wise. I don't care how many money he's going to try to put forward into my box. If I can just get Werner to lay it off to Lukaku and Lukaku to body himself into a shooting position, I only need to do that once. Yes. And it, it could have worked, but uh, I think Guardiola might have expected that. And so uh, I'd like to point out two players, uh, Rodri and Bernardo Silva, as people who were really closing down on anyone in the midfield that might have had a ball at any point in time, and they they just totally dominated it. And so a lot of the players disappeared, right? Uh, I didn't see much of Jorginho. I didn't see much of Conte. And usually Conte's everywhere. So it was, it was a good, good game management from Guardiola, who really sometimes has a certain stubbornness to his tactics and won't adapt to a game where Tuchel might be the opposite, but it just happened to go in Guardiola's favor this time. You know, I mean, also Reese James went down, I think in the 29th minute or thereabouts and had to be subbed off. He's kind of one of their more forward thinking players um, on the wings. So that might've affected them a bit. It, it did seem like, yeah, Jorginho seemed kind of, I don't know, absent from the attacking side of things um, in yeah. the game. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, they did seem to sort of get schemed out of the game. Chelsea basically only achieved, the, they only achieved one shot in the first half and three more in the second. So tough, tough attacking output from them. That's a, we're, we're not going to, yeah, yeah, sorry. We're not going to talk too much more about it because I think you could really break this down being that the two most quote-unquote tactically supreme managers in the league 
were in this game. And so there were so many minute things that you might be able to go frame by frame with. I just like to talk about two players that might have been a bit out of the spotlight. I've written them down here. Kevin De Bruyne mm-hmm. didn't look like his previous self. He had a couple of shots that just kind of went wide, and he wasn't really able to link up play with anyone that well. Yeah, I remember. I think he had a cross that like went like he came. I think he's crossing from the left side, and he just sent it well past the you know right side of the box, and it was nowhere near heading distance. It was a pretty. Uh, it was way out. Pretty ugly looking. Yeah. And Ruben Loftus Cheek, who's that? Where's he been? RLC. Yeah. That's what we call him around here. A. <laughs> Anyway, so he uh, he was he's a midfielder for Chelsea. Chelsea famously loan anyone and everyone they don't have a use for across the world, and he uh, was on loan at Fulham last year. And he went down with Fulham ship, came back, and now he played a pretty decent. Uh, I don't know, forty minutes, however long he was on, he was subbed on, and I think. This was a good moment for him to make a case for himself, even though Chelsea lost. He was really good at facilitating the ball. I know we just got done talking about how Chelsea's midfield were under a lot of pressure this game, but you could see Ruben playing through players to try and get the ball forwards, and I think that's going to be super valuable against bigger teams. So I think Tuchel might have a use for him later down the road. We'll see. Yeah. I, I like him, and I, I think that he deserves more playing time than he gets at Chelsea. Yeah, he had a, I thought he had a pretty bright spell. He he certainly was involved a lot more. Uh, you, I mean, you just noticed, I mean, because you noticed like that their, their midfield is sort of, I don't, don't want to say non-existent, but it was kind of approaching that during the first half, and he, he was definitely more involved in the game in the second half. I think, you know, Kai Havertz came on for Conte too, so they sort of decided that they need a little bit more forward-thinking uh, attacking players on the field. So that might have been kind of why Loftus Cheek was able to do that because he came in for Jorginho. So, you know, there again, they're making subs trying to go out and get a goal, right? So right. the field's a little bit more open for them and they have some ability to kind of shine a little bit more than what we saw from the first half set up. I said 40 minutes. Uh, what I meant to say was 15, which is nowhere near 40. It it felt longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did. There were he came on in the seventy sixth minute, and there were six minutes of stoppage time. So you know, twenty minutes. You were half right. Yeah, he, he got some. He got some uh, minutes to to showcase what he what show show me what you've got. Anyway, um, also, I mean, like, you know, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's ignore that. No, I think uh, I think with you know City. I mean, they had fifteen shots. Uh, three of them were on target with the way the game was flowing in the first half they were not getting a ton of great shots but they were getting obviously many more than Chelsea were and while the goal they scored was a bit unlucky it was kind of a deflected shot off of I'm not actually sure who it bounced off but Jesus shot it it deflected off a defender's leg and and, uh, I think it bounced off of Jorginho actually oh yeah, yeah I think you're right and yeah changed direction just when the net the keeper couldn't do anything so yeah I mean that was a bit unlucky and I think Chelsea, they, 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 I think are okay with conceding shots and uh, as long as they're not in, you know, dangerous areas, right? So, you know, this one was just kind of a bit unlucky, I guess, for them, but it seemed like maybe it was bound to happen just given the volume of chances that City were creating, so. It really was a classic heavyweight matchup where two teams that usually 
get a ton of shots on other teams really don't do anything against each other and it's yeah. a little bit more boring than you'd expect it's super tactical and like yeah. you can only really find it interesting if like you're like super into like what you know the two managers are doing how they're trying to play the chess yeah. game against each other if you're into the narrative shit yeah that narrative stuff that really drives the sport forward as a selling product sure yeah if you want to plot yeah God. and characters if you want them to fall in love if you want daytime tv yeah okay this isn't the wheel of fortune <laughs> let's plow ahead to a much more exciting fixture in my opinion leads one west ham two blair you kind of uh made this game the the ben rama and rafinha show yes yeah thumb on louise you see any support arriving? Rafinha is coming in very late. This is clear to Rafinha. Rafinha! Direct and to the points. Ooh, what a silky goal that was. Yeah, it was nice. It really was. I'm not sure how far out that shot came from, but um, it was it was outside the 18. Yep, it was from 19 yards, and yeah, just kind of buried it left corner. Not really much that Fabianski could do about it, but. Yeah, Rafinha, I mean, he's he's awesome, man. I, I, I was commenting to some people I chat with in Discord about it, and I was kind of like, well, yeah, I think Rafinha kind of does everything that we wish that, like, Nicolas Pepe could do. Because <laughs> he, he'll he play, like, you'll see him receive the ball, and he'll be all the way out to the touchline, like, with his, like, cleats basically, like, on the chalk for the out-of-bounds line. Um, or he'll, like, drift centrally and, you know, receive the ball there. Like, he just kind of owns that whole right-sided space, and I was really impressed with him. What do you think, Jacob? I don't want that to get lost in the show-stopping performance uh, Saeed Benrama put on for West Ham. Absolutely. He didn't get a goal, but he was... Anytime he had the ball... And it, this was like both, like both of them, really, like Rafinha and Ben Rama. Anytime they had the ball, and these guys are like forward players, so they'd be like in the last third of the field. But anytime they had the ball on either side, you just were kind of like expecting something, uh, something that was going to happen, and uh, it did. And this was really end-to-end stuff. Leeds, you know, Leeds. We've talked about Leeds. They they're all over the place. They'll run you down. They'll play this. He also likes to play the same eleven players usually. Patrick Bamford was out with an injury, so who who slotted in for him? Is Rodrigo? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Okay, Rodrigo slotted in for him, but they they play this they play this out wide ball, and they try and get it into Rodrigo for him to get a shot off. West Ham, uh, they they are all about getting it to Mikel Antonio, but Benrama and Rafinha are these daggers that also operate as like wild cards, almost in my opinion, and they're just so fun. And you might be right, Rafinha would be a great addition to Arsenal's wide players, but uh, you were saying how he kind of just owns the right side, and yeah. that was very true. I think one thing I'll note is in Ben Rama's case, he was very much dangerous going forward, but I noticed a few instances where he was also very active getting back. There's one in particular that I noticed. I think it was in the second half where he was like all the way up the field in Leeds box or very, uh, very close to it. He carried the ball like pretty far, I believe. And then 
yeah, dispossessed, not sure exactly what happened. And he treks all the way back. There's like a long pass and he's the one that gets back to it and kind of cuts it out um, and stops a break for leads. So, yeah, I was really impressed with his work rate and, you know, just sort of the all around game that he brought to uh, this match. I, I also want to say that I think that now that we're getting into the maybe more entertaining games that we watched this weekend, this was probably the most fun weekend of Premier League football or soccer that we watched have watched this entire year it had a lot of goals a lot of progressive playing yeah yeah you've got here Meslier looked good Blair for Leeds and yeah. he did I think if I'm gonna take away from this weekend this was a weekend full of fantastic performances from goalkeepers um, oh yeah there was just I think there was like three double saves this weekend and they all were just fantastic and Meslier was uh, I don't think he made a double save but he looked really good, and he kept leads in the game. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really have a defense in front of him for no, like a good part yeah. of the game. And one of the goals was an own goal. A double deflection on goal, might I yeah. add, which is in- so incredibly unlucky yeah, to like go off target and then go back on target with another. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Just shit. You, yeah. just, you just hate to see it. Yeah, it sucks. But, yeah, he had five saves in the game. I thought he just, yeah, he looked really good. He, I think, bailed him out on some occasions. And I... I don't know. I don't want to say that Leeds were unlucky with the scoreline. I guess they kind of were. I don't know. I mean, Antonio's goal came the 90th minute, so it's kind of like a bad time to concede the goal, but I think uh, he maybe helped make that scoreline and the chance of them getting any points from the game, he definitely increased the likelihood of yeah. that with his play. I mean, I wouldn't call it unlucky. It just Leeds shut down. Yeah. In the closing minutes, you you saw Declan Rice just curl it through the midfield to Antonio just beyond the 18. No one's around him. He's yeah. by himself. And so what he does is he has this cool first touch that totally puts, I don't remember the defender that's on him, but he totally like puts the defender out of play and he just kind of runs around him and just like slots it in. And it's so easy. And if you're going to allow that in the dying minutes when you're going for a tie against, in my opinion, a team that's probably on paper better than Leeds. That's that's on you. I want to say it was Charlie Cresswell, and I don't think he regularly starts for Leeds. They've had some defensive issues. Um, players unhealth that are unhealthy. Players that are you know injured and, and yeah, whatnot. they smoke. Yeah, yeah, they they smoke, they drink, <laughs> they're all kinds of carousing. Um, yeah, so I think this was good stuff though. And Leeds, I, I don't think their current table position reflects the kind of uh, soccer they've been playing. So it should be good for them coming, and I'm not at all worried. No issues scoring goals for them. They just kind of need to find a way to keep so many out of their net. A brief aside on Daniel James. Uh, didn't really show much this game. And that might be because he's not, you know, part of the uh, patent pending Bielsa system. Yeah. So uh, he didn't play the entire game and he really didn't put many numbers forward that supports his uh, quality that he showed at Manchester. But we'll see more of him later. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Big names you might recognize from the Big Six. Daniel James. Wales' very own. The Flying Welshman. The f- <laughs> the f- <laughs> well, they are dragons, I guess. Okay. <laughs> you want to go on to the next game? Let's do it. Okay. Brentford 3, Liverpool 3. Now Brentford have to withstand some serious pressure. Camino's ready to come in. Another effort comes in here. sent the last one into the Thames River Curtis Jones 
and this one rifles into the top corner. What a strike to give Liverpool the lead. And they could be heading for- Curtis Jones? Who's that? Where'd he come from? He was here last year if you were paying attention. Harvey Ellis just took the uh, spotlight for a brief second. But Curtis Jones, fantastic midfielder, fantastic attacking player, scored an absolute world-class goal from way outside. The angle was not there. He should not have shot it, and yet he did. He scored. It was incredible, and it was a tie game. Tie game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jurgen Klopp said, Mr. Jones and me. Mr. <laughs> Jones and me. <laughs> this this game was completely batshit insane, in my opinion. It was like the most insane. This this was the most, uh, from a neutral's point of view, it was the most entertaining uh, game of the weekend. Yeah, it was like, on the one hand, I was trying to, to not be like, uh, just kind of like going nuts on the couch because like Jacob's like also going nuts in a in a, a different sense, and so I didn't want to like feed into that. But on the other hand, I also like it was like crazy. <laughs> I think I was dead inside for most of the game, trying to keep it together. Cause, yeah, because uh, you know why? Because Brentford are the real deal. They they, they look scary, and I did I didn't expect them to be this threatening on on the forward run. And Ivan Tony, man, you do not want him in your box. No, you really don't. He's he, he's very good. He's we, quite. We've talked about we've, this. We we've said people are saying. Yeah. People are saying Ivan Tony, good player. Now, Jacob, here's the thing. I don't understand why two schmucks with a podcast <laughs> can figure out that Ivan Tony's very good. Uh huh. But Premier League managers mm. still have not even seemed to have heard of Ivan Tony. <laughs> what? Who, who 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 hasn't heard of him at this point? The, what, I, I don't know. He, he just keeps he just keeps doing everything. He keeps doing it all. It's, he keeps coming up. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, right. But no, he he's obviously very good. He's good in the air. Uh, he's he's strong with the ball at yeah. his feet. He's um, I mean he's a he's a good target. Um, and we talked about him and his partnership with Embuemo. Um, or Embomo. Tony and Embuemo, buddy cop movie about two bees trying to take down a couple of hornets that are poisoning the hive. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Title of the movie. Title of the movie. We'll call it uh, to be or not to. Nope. No, that's that's too on the nose. Uh, this is too much pressure. Uh, Chronicles from the Buzz. Oh. Because, like, the fuzz? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hot, yeah. hot buzz. Hot buzz. <laughs> hot buzz. Title of the episode. <laughs> hot buzz. Hot buzz. What's the hubbub? What's the hub? The buzz. What's the buzz? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so let's see. Other notes. This game had two goal line clearances on both sides of uh the field one from Iyer. Uh Salah shot took a shot that went past Amrea um, and it was like just inching towards the goal. Iyer sprinted past and he just like kicked it out of there. And then one from Joel Matip. He did the same exact thing. And the, the and like the, the two goal line clearances, Rea had a double save where Jota almost put it in the back of the net. And uh, six goals total. I mean, like you, 
you should at least watch the extended highlights of this. This game was really crazy. I really... I mean, there's nothing else to say if you're watching a 3-3 game that uh, that has two goal-line clearances. Uh, Mohamed Salah gets his 100th uh, Premier League goal uh, as a Liverpool player. Anyway, that, that was kind of like an out-of-order sequence of thoughts. I was just trying to frame this match in a context of a lot of excitement, uh, very stressful for me. I personally am a little frustrated that Liverpool came away with a tie. I think that there were many chances for them to put it away, most notably a Salah shot that bounced off the post, and uh, we just weren't able to get an extra two points, and I think that might come back to bite us long term because uh, this was a point in time that would have put us three points ahead in first, which is a match and that's really important for this long-term title contention um, that initially going into the season I had thought would be too ambitious given the signings uh, and the hype surrounding Chelsea and uh, Man City and Man U, but Liverpool thus far have come out really, uh, really good, really consistent. I mean, they've been just incredible on all levels of the team, they've I think they've t- gone away with like three to nothing for the past three matches, and uh, you just kind of expected them to do better. Uh, but that didn't stop Brentford from putting on a show, and you've got to respect that. Yeah, they. The thing is, like I agree, I think Liverpool probably would be a bit disappointed that they didn't get all three points. There were many moments where Liverpool were getting into very dangerous areas uh, in in Brentford's box and just couldn't seem to find the... I mean, they scored three goals, so, you know, there's that, but they just couldn't seem to find that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth goal where they had chances to. Between... Now, Jacob, we talk about this stat a lot, and I don't want to... We need to get away from it, but there this this blows my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jota had... 0.9 0.9 XG on two shots. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's really good, actually. Salah had 0.9 XG on three shots, only one on target. Or, I'm sorry, I had one XG. So between the two of them, they've combined for 1.9 XG. 1.9, yep. Which is pretty crazy. And if you look at Jota's shots, he got them at the uh, six-yard line and the seven-yard line. It was a header, right? And then the one shot that was blocked by Raya. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Salah scored a goal from the seven uh, or seven, from seven yards out. Um, Curtis I mean, Jones zero point two with, uh, with yeah. the goal. Yeah, his is from twenty six yards. Yeah, hell of a shot. Um, a yeah, thunder bastard. This was. Uh, this is the last time we'll say it. One point nine to two point five xg in Liverpool's favor. Yeah, so I mean, like, we'll never say it again. It's not like a massive gulf, you know. Also, a lot of xg. I mean, yeah. sorry, what? We're never talking about it again. It's a, it's a lot. It is a lot, yeah. for sure. And if you look at when the goals happened, Pinnick scores 27th minute, Jota scores 31st minute, Mohamed Salah scores 54th minute, Yanlet comes back 63rd minute, scores, Jones scores 67th minute. Just bing, back and forth, back and forth. This is like pinball. How many XG you got? A lot. How many goals you got? A lot. How many clearances you got? A lot. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever that was, I don't know. <laughs> what was the what's the song? Hang on. Is it a lot by Twenty One Savage? No. Uh, oh yeah. How much money you got? Girl? How 
How many goals you got? How many XG you got? How many clearances you got? You got shot. <laughs> was the last one. Yeah, yeah, shoot, 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 shoot. It's okay. It's okay. That was the MLS. Uh, um, okay, yeah. So that was a, it. Was a crazy goal, crazy game, crazy time. Liverpool three, Brentford three at uh, at the Hive um, because I do not know the Brentford Community Stadium. There you go. Is the uh, place they play at, and uh, we, as we've said many, many, many times, and as everyone around all the different media outlets you're watching this off of say Brentford are exciting we're excited to see them it's wonderful that they are in the Premier League and everyone is rooting for them um, yeah full stop alright Jacob I gotta ask you here we go Liverpool conceding three goals to Brentford what do you think happened there it seemed a bit Loose defensively from them. Oh, they were playing loosey-goosey, that's for sure. So, let me think back. Ethan Pinnock scored a goal with an Ivan Tony assist in the 27th minute. And I'm trying to remember the situations in which these goals were played. But uh, generally, when Liverpool are playing against lower side teams, they aggressively push up, right? And I think they just weren't prepared to defend against... uh, a full like a fast-paced team that we're trying to not just sit back. I mean, maybe Klopp figured that hey, Brentford, they try to play this uh, this the same game really uh, against everyone in the championship. I don't think they'll do that in the Premier League, and they really they really didn't have a lot of evidence otherwise because this is Brentford's first season, so they haven't been like quote unquote figured out yet. I think Klopp just figured wrong. That's fine, right? I mean, like, you just make it mid-game adjustments, but obviously players are going to want to get forward. And Ivan Tony, I, I said this last episode, Ivan Tony had both the most goals and the most assists on record in the championship last year. That is going to translate to a lot of quality chances. Yeah. The championship and the Premier League are not so different in quality that you get a championship player in the premiership and they, he just doesn't know what to do. Yep. This is a good player. And if Brentford don't lock him up on a long-term contract or they get relegated or what have you, he's going to a bigger team. Yeah, for sure. The same with Mbwemo. You just, you just have to acknowledge the fact that Brentford have a quality team and you can't treat them like newly relegated side, like say Watford or Norwich. Yeah, for sure. I think, so uh, I'm just looking at the, the shots here. Pennick's goal came from three yards out. I think there was a perhaps a deflection and he was there to to uh, finish it. I can't quite recall. Yanlet's goal came from, or is it Yanle? I don't know. No, it's Yan, Yanel. I don't know. Whatever. Came from three yards out. Yon Wiese's goal came from six yards out. So they were getting into the box um, for these shots. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. They had a couple other chances that were in the box as well. The The thing that I thought I, I noticed was that the strikers were able to find space between the center backs or between the center back and the fullback. And it looked like the width, the width of the defensive line was kind of wide enough such that the Strikers were able to find a, a pass. Yeah, and like, uh, I mean, like, Matip and Verge play wide because they're fast and because they uh, link up with Fabinho, right? So if like Fabinho's occupied, you've got this space that you can exploit. Yeah. 
And that's just part of the drawback you get when you push Robertson and Arnold as far forward as you yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. So when, you, when you're playing with like essentially a three-back, that's really a two-back a lot of the time. Yeah. You just you get that sort of thing. And, and these came from, like you said, short. So I imagine they just found some space. And that's, you know, I mean... It's, yeah, in in Liverpool, uh, in their title winning season, they they didn't have these kind of problems because they could rotate Gomez in, and he was like operating because like Gomez and Virgil Van Dijk were the were the starting center back pairing for most of the season, and so Matip has kind of like edged in due to Gomez's injury issues, and I think that might be just the difference in how they defend, and I don't know enough to tell you. Yeah, the difference between Gomez and Matip. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know exactly. I mean, the, the what you're saying about the center backs being kind of wider that that sort of makes sense. I haven't watched enough Liverpool and I haven't watched Liverpool's defensive line closely enough to really comment on that too much. That was just yeah. something I sort of observed. They basically though, Brentford basically used the same tactics that Chelsea used against City. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah. They had the two strikers, and I, I don't know. I mean, they were committing more people forward, I think, than Chelsea were, but I thought that was also sort of interesting. This 3-5-2 with two strikers. I don't know how many teams run it in the, the Premier League. 3-5-2, is, it's, it's becoming more popular, for sure. Yeah. The wingback usage is just kind of more over a thing all the time. It's just how you're aligning it with like your defenders. So, like, you know... You've got Pinnock and Johnson and Ayer as your three back, right? You can say the same thing like Matip, Fabinho, Verge, yep. and then you push Arnold and Robertson forward. I mean, it's, it's like it's like it's just formations are meaningless. They, they so really are. Yeah, it's it's really just depends on how you operate it. And so, uh, I just I I've watched so many hours of Liverpool that I can kind of just tell you. And like I think Liverpool are easier to dissect because they're under so much coverage all the time. Yeah, for sure. So you just kind of get a better sense of like the bigger teams and how they operate. And Brentford will just kind of, uh, like I said, get figured out as they keep playing because teams will have to study them to beat them now. Especially if you're like a smaller league team, a smaller side team, and you're trying to get a mid table place, or maybe you're fighting for like a sixth or seventh position, or maybe you're voting relegation. You want to you want to know Brentford inside and out at this point because they are not uh, someone you can just brush aside. Say like Watford or Norwich, you know. Yeah, that's I've mentioned already. Anyway, moving on. We I think we've talked about this a lot. A couple episodes ago, maybe last episode, we talked about some teams that we don't, uh, we haven't mentioned yet that we haven't paid our full attention to. Uh, one of them was Southampton. Well, guess what? We watched the Southampton Wolves game. So why don't you say thank you? Yeah, I think. No offense to Southampton, but I think we kind of realized why we haven't watched them yet. <laughs> Ooh, don't say that. All right, Southampton look. are an exciting team. Per uh, being coached by an up and coming manager, and uh, and 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 they're they're gonna show you guys just why they're exciting. Why are they exciting, Blair? You know, um, okay. <laughs> Southampton are a fine team, um, and Ralph Hasenhutl, I think, is a, is a pretty good manager. They seemed in this in this match, me for both teams. It seemed like that that I wrote in my notes that. I don't think any, any, either of these teams is ever going to score a goal ever again. Um, they seemed like they were they're fine, you know, relatively fine at the back. They're relatively fine in the midfield and playing the, with the ball in those spaces. But once they got into each team, got into the opposing team's uh, half or third, they seem to just like the wheels fall off. They just kind of don't know what to do. Yeah, Pep Guardiola has this really famous saying, "quote whatever." 
that where he says, what I try to do with my teams is I tell them exactly what they have to do in the first and second third of the field. But when they get to the final third, it's all up to them. It's up to them, yep. And so when Southampton and Wolves got to the final third, they were just like, I didn't think we'd get this far. Yeah. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Who are you? Who am I? Really, what, what is that? What is all of this? <laughs> What's this all about? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, and so it did. It did. I, I thought it was a very chaotic game. I couldn't make a lot of sense of it because uh, people were being dispossessed all over the place, and you couldn't really get a nice string of passes or plays in together. And it was very hard to watch um, from a like watching coherent. It was like uh, this is not not the same thing, but in a very loose sense, it was like watching five year olds play soccer because they were all just around the ball and following it in a mob. And I'm not saying that was the exact same thing. I'm saying very roughly, it kind of felt like it. Okay, Ralph. Yeah, and like I, I don't know. I, I think I'm probably like being too harsh on Southampton. I think they had like a generally pretty good performance. And really, like, I think what they're probably going to need to do is be, is make sure that they're getting that pairing with Adams and Armstrong kind of up and running. You know, Adam Armstrong was brought in from Blackburn to replace Danny Ings. And Ings is a, I mean, we found out he's one of the best goal scorers in the world this season and has no hamstring issues whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. no, Ings, Ings is like, I mean, he's like a player they're going to miss, right? I mean, he's their primary goal scorer and yeah. he can he can do it against pretty much any team. So, you know, bringing in a guy in Armstrong from the championship who had a really good record, kind of like Tony, he had 28 goals for Blackburn last season, which is... Yeah, it was a crazy amount. A nice return. You know, maybe just kind of working out some of the wrinkles and yeah, kind of getting that pairing going is what they need more than anything. Can you... Uh, we, we have this list of other Southampton players that we think are key to their team. Can you just take me through them? All right. So I'm going to leave one for you because I actually wanted to ask you about him because I don't have, I don't know how to feel about him, but yeah, we're going to start with James Ward Prowse. He's a midfielder for them. And I know him because he was in my fantasy team for a while last year and had some just ridiculous uh, free kick goals. He's got a pretty sweet foot uh, when he can, you know, tee it up nicely on the grass, just how he likes. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of an interesting one. He'll net a few goals this season, probably. Yeah, he's um, so James Ward Prowse outside of FPL and outside of being the the best dead bull specialist in the league uh, is a is a quietly good midfielder that is so incredibly consistent at what he does. It's why people love him, right? He he does the defensive work. He facilitates some of the plays, and he you always have someone that's a guaranteed uh, free kick taker. And so it's like a really core point of Southampton's squad build that they don't have a lot of these questions that you might have of like a box to box midfielder sometimes. And so he's always going to have a start and it's why he's constantly linked to say Manchester United. Cause they have a big DM problem over there that everyone's talking about. So long story short, uh, word prowess. Good. Next. <laughs> yeah. Jay's word prowess. Good player. Fun to watch sometimes. Next player. Let's go on to, well, we mentioned Barty, but Adam Armstrong, 
So mm-hmm. the new striker signing from Blackburn. Mm-hmm. 24-year-old player, came from Blackburn Longhead, played there last year in the championship, scored 28 goals, which is a hell of a lot. So certainly one to watch out for. I imagine he will be tasked with most of their goal-scoring load this season. So hopefully he can kick on for them. And then finally, there is uh, Tino Livermento. Jacob, do you want to talk about him? Yeah, Tito Livermento, I, I mentioned him here because while I was watching, you know, I, I didn't recognize him. And he is a young 18-year-old teenager that is uh, plays as a, a left back. I'm sorry, a, a right back. Yeah, I think he's on the right. Yeah, And he's on loan from Chelsea. And you know how Chelsea are. They've got this giant army of young or middle-aged men that uh, go everywhere in the world. <laughs> Not middle-aged, but you get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to work with the Chelsea Loney, actually, at Dairy Queen. <laughs> I thought it was kind of strange. <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, they have so many Loney's that, like, they've run out of clubs, so it's like, oh, shit. Hey, let's have Dairy Queen sponsor. Yeah. Hey, we got this opening. You know, like ice cream kid. <laughs> Do you know anything about computers? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, whoa. Cool guy. <laughs> okay. He, but he, the 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 biggest contribution he made here was that he set up one of the goals, I believe. Hang on. Well, they didn't score, but he... he <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, you're right. But he, he was taking the corners. He, it's interesting because when you're 18 and you get loaned out and then you get assigned to a club that is uh, as high-tiered as Southampton, uh, that is a very big deal. No, so, yeah, that really is. Uh, he's only he he's 18 like he's not even 20 you get a lot of these guys that are loaned out and they're like 25 and they're in the championship or they're somewhere at like uh parma in italy right and so to be playing for southampton as a fullback which uh is already kind of like a high level talent pool as is it's it's very impressive and if southampton do well this is going to be huge for this guy's career because He's going to have all of this playing time as a starter in a Premier League side for Chelsea that he's going to have an option to maybe edge into Chelsea's starting lineup. Soccer is one of those things. I mean, like all sports are, but like soccer, especially because it moves so fast and because uh, there's so many transfer elements to a team that you can be at the top of your game like Reese James is, get injured, go off the field. guy like Livermento slots in and he just does so well that he's now ousted you out of your spot. You're done. Yeah. And uh, you see that a lot. Zinchenko. I don't know where he is anymore. Now we only have Joao Cancelo or, uh, you know, Kyle Walker. And so... I think this is someone to watch. John Stones? Where's he at? I don't know. Yeah. No idea. Laporte? He was on the out and out at yeah. the beginning of the season. That's what everyone was saying. Yeah. City's whole rotation is yeah. like completely messed especially, up. Especially like Man City, who it's like if you do wrong for like more than 30 seconds, they'll just buy another one of you. Yeah. Like, so that's why I was so worried about Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I, I, anyway, we're not going to talk about him. Yeah. So Livermento, he did good. He was a solid performer. He was moving the ball up and down really well, in my opinion. And if, 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 if we can watch another non-chaotic game with Southampton, I urge you to watch either him or James Ward-Browse if you had to pick one. Yeah. I mean, I think 
Southampton have two pretty solid fullbacks, uh, at least going forward. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters plays on the left, Lievermento on the right. They both can, uh, they're very comfortable dribbling with the ball at their feet, carrying it upfield. Um, pretty good passers. So uh, Kyle Walker-Peters is another one. He's 24, came from Tottenham. Yeah, same and, situation. Couldn't edge in. Yeah. Went on loan. Got first playing time, was bought by Southampton. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he basically took advantage of his opportunity. But, yeah, he was, I mean, he was pretty solid for them last year. And, um, uh, yeah, I think they, I think it's, uh, Southampton have always been, like, pretty, pretty uh, steady defensively. Hassan Hoodle, I think, can coach a defense pretty well. So, yeah, I think those two will benefit from being a part of that group. But, yeah, certainly one to watch. And also, if we're uh, getting back into the FPL, uh, Tino Lidermento is, like, 4.1 million. He's like a nailed-on starter. Got to have him in your team, man. Yeah, I don't. Um, I probably should. But All right, Jake, I'm going to ask you something. Yeah. What do we make of Che Adams? Uh, yeah, so uh, let's just get the obvious out of the way. Cool name. Very cool. Che? Yeah. yeah. Awesome name. Yeah, it's like just kind of just, hey, you can call me Che. Hey, I'm Che. It's not a big deal. I got a cool face and really nice curly hair. Oh, also, I'm a professional soccer player. But it's no big deal, man. You Is just curly down. hair now? He's got curly hair, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Che Adams was the ying to Danny Ings' yang, right, last year. And so, he had a lot of stock because they played each other really well. Adams would feed Ings. Ings would score or, you know, injure his knee, whatever. And uh, <laughs> Hamstring. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, when Ings left... Uh, everyone was saying, hey, this is finally Che Adams' spot. It's time to step up and be the main attacking force at Southampton. And uh, so far, he hasn't done that quite to the extent that people have been talking to him about. However, it's only game day five. And so we've got 33 game weeks left of the Premier League. Southampton are, oh, sorry, 32. It was game week six. Sorry, time is meaningless. And it's a flat circle. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I think Adams is going to be someone to watch continuously. You saw a couple of times where he had really good ideas. Most notably, the thing I remember the most is that he had this shot where he just took it one time and it curled so nice around the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper didn't have it. It just went just wide of the goal. And he has those kind of moments where you know he you can he you know he can see it and he does it. It's just not quite there. And so if he can just get that to click, I think Southampton's attack is going to explode. To transition to why you should start watching Southampton is because they're on the verge of something that's very good. They have a very, very good manager, and uh, he just has gone kind of quiet in terms of the press talking about him only because that there are a bunch of other Germans, frankly, in the Premier League. I think there's been an influx of German managers everywhere. They can't stop making them. I don't get it. Julian <laughs> yeah. Nagelsmann, Hansi Flick, Ralph Hasenhutl, uh, Thomas Tuchel, uh, Jurgen Klopp, Marco Rosa. I don't have a single one. That's the well, my my overall point is is that I think Southampton are have something really uh, good. If you want nice Southampton analysis, there's a journalist named Alex Stewart that does technical analysis for a company called Tifo Football, and he is a Southampton fan. And he always tweets about them. And if you want more insights, you should go on Twitter and follow him. But not before you follow us. Yeah, that's true. I I think, Jacob, my take on Southampton is yeah. that they're, they're a team that, like, 
very well like should probably stay up but i think that they might be at a risk of being relegated if they don't get this attack going i think you're right because when you don't have attack you don't have goals, you don't have goals. and when you don't have goals it's, you die it's kind of it's like treasure <laughs> it's 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 simplifying it obviously but um not the death part i think basically like what's what happened with southampton is like when they sold their best player and then i mean they replaced him with a guy who seems like have a pretty good track record like this seems like a pretty decent signing for them, smart signing. You can't just like sell all the goals out of your team and then just kind of hope they come from somewhere else. So right. if if I was to say, you know, like to, to pick anything out, I think that would that'd be a bit of a worry for me if I was a Southampton fan. Che Adams, though, nine goals, five assists last year. I think he can improve on that record this year being more of the main guy. So we'll see what he can do, but... Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's going to be just fine in my opinion, and I think Southampton, while they have a chance of getting relegated if they don't get the ball rolling, will not get relegated. Two of the three spots I think are guaranteed, yeah. out, and it's going to be a fight for the third, and I think the contenders for that are Burnley and Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that too. It'll be, I think it'll be, yeah, Burnley, Newcastle, and and probably Southampton at the bottom, uh, fighting for that last spot is my my take. And uh, Shea Adams will be trying to score more goals, but you know who did score a goal that game? Ah, yes, the boy Raúl Jiménez. Jiménez, sorry. Jiménez, is this his moment? Still Raúl Jiménez. Oh, the outpouring of emotion. Raul Jimenez playing again, scoring again. Ten months after the accident that changed his life. For those of you that didn't watch last year, Raul Jimenez, starting striker for the Wolverhampton Wanderers. He played was playing a game. I don't remember who it was against. Arsenal. <laughs> oh, David Luiz. Yeah, it was David yeah. Luiz. Yep. And playing against Arsenal ten months ago, David Luiz and him go up for a contested header. And in they they bat, bat, bash heads together, and Raul Jimenez fractures his skull, and has to be stretchered off the field, and undergo immediate hospitalization. Everyone felt very bad, and it was no good. And David Luiz looked looked horror stricken. Yeah, I think he was very concussed. Yeah, yeah, and he kept playing too, which is awful. Uh, yeah. So first of all, I hope David Luiz is okay. But second of all, it's great to see uh, Raul Jimenez back playing, uh, back scoring, uh, and generally looking his normal self. He has this uh, pad he wears while playing games. It's like a headband, but on one part of it, it's really thick. And obviously, I suspect that's the part where he fractured his skull. So it's like a really nice cushion in case, you know, the same thing happens again. He doesn't leak brains everywhere on the field. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. <laughs> I mean, like, well, that's like what it's for. That's and like, so, yeah. uh, but to to but to take you through the goal, he he receives it, and he he because there's a long ball, and he like wrestles himself around a defender, and then after he does that. He dribbles past another one with another touch. The defender, he wrestled around, catches back up, and he just jukes past him, and then he just kind of sends it home. And it was fantastic. And yeah. I don't think that was talked about enough. No, it, 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 was, it was better than the Antonio goal, but very similar in that he just like, he like made an individual play. Yeah, yeah. And what did we say when we were talking about Wolves the first time? Raul Jimenez 
like he needs to get going from for goals court. So I think this is a good sign. And like, this is like a, a, a really nice individual effort to uh, get a goal and get three points for his team. And that's certainly something that they're going to need more out of him this year. But yeah, I think it's a great moment. I mean, to see him go down like that, that was, I remember, I remember watching that game and distinctly hearing the sound because there's no fans in the stands. Yeah, that's right. There was like, and like no manufactured crowd noise either. Yeah. So it was just like the players like swearing and yelling. You at could each basically other. Yeah. hear his skull crack, like their heads bang. It, it was nasty. Uh, so yeah, I mean, to see him back in the field after that was pretty inspiring. And I mean, he's been a great player. So everyone's happy he's back. Yeah. So, it's good to see and like uh, recoveries, uh, players making recoveries. Same day, Ansu Fati came back after uh, you know a, a season-ending injury at Barcelona, scored a goal. So everyone, it's a good time. Good times, FC. Yeah, we feel good about it. Yeah, Wolves are a team where it's like, it's like you can root for them. You can just root for them. You know, it's fun. When, yeah, when they have fun players. Them, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna root for them when I play them, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, it's like. I, how am I going to watch Adama Traore play soccer and not root for that? I like to see oily, uh, buff men play soccer. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's confusing. and shiny. <laughs> yeah, he was shiny. He was glistening. Yeah, he was. It was weird. Cause, no, because you saw him before when he was warming up. He didn't look shiny. No. And then he did look shiny. Then he got shined. Yeah, he got shined. He got his shine on. He was, <laughs> it was, it was like a shoe shine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like but it's like uh, all the like ball boys doing it over his biceps, just yeah. like, trying to get him. Here up. you go, Mr. I'm going to get nice and slippery, Mr. Adama. Give me a second here. I'm from Boston, but we're somewhere in England. I'm not <laughs> sure what's going on. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, we've devoted a lot to that to get Southampton good talked about. And now uh, the main event. Okay, so let's just let's just preface this game by saying me and Blair and Maddie went to an Arsenal bar to watch the North London Derby. Arsenal 3, Tottenham 1. Well, Ramsdale got away with that one. Jacket did well. It was not a good ball to him. But Arsenal are breaking, Smith-Rowe again, Aubameyang, Saka and Udegaard all in the box. Aubameyang, 2-0! Wonderfully taken by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Arsenal double their lead. It's a great little pass here from Aubameyang, a little one round the corner. Let me say, the difference between watching a goal on the TV like I do so many mornings and feeling the atmosphere in the bar, it, uh, it's just, you know... Streets ahead. Yeah. Uh, it's quite nice. Um, and I'm going to, this is the only thing I'm going to say on Arsenal. And then I'm going to let you just take off, Blair. Cool. They're calling you guys that you guys don't have a very good offense. They have a skanking team. They're fired up. What do you say to them? We have a good offense. Yeah. We're ready. We're ready to go out there and hit them every play. Right now, baby. No, we came to Ford Field. We are better than the Lions. We are the best team to ever play on this field. Yeah. I think I got my swagger back. <laughs> there's so there's like five perfect quotes in that whole video. <laughs> We're the best team that's ever played this field. We're better than the Lions. <laughs> oh no way! Stop it. <laughs> okay, anyway, all right, Blair, you're the man. You're the man in all things Arsenal. Please take me through everything uh, that you were filling this game, all the tactical analysis you can get in in a quick segment here. What are the important things that I should know? 
Arsenal scored goals this time. Wow! That was sick. It's so cool when they do that. I love that shit so much. <laughs> it is so great when your team scores goals, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it's so much fun. It's so much better than being scored on, which has happened way too frequently. Arsenal have been on a decent little run. We've won two games in a row coming into today. And the fans are like, hey, we won two in a row, but we beat Burnley in Norwich. So, like, you know, put the brakes a little bit. I don't know how much we should, how good we should feel about that, considering we only scored one goal each. And in, in one of the games, it was from uh, a set piece, wasn't even from open play. So, to come in here, uh, to come to the Emirates and score three goals on Tottenham felt really good. It always feels good to me to score goals on Tottenham. We set up in a bit of a, I'm, this is a lineup we use a lot uh, in the second half of last season, um, and that we'll see a lot again this year, but we've kind of been doing this weird 4-3-3 uh, in the last couple of games, but now Grant Shaka is back. So we lined up in the 4-2-3-1 formation, which kind of makes the more traditional pivot of Xhaka and Party in our midfield. And then we put three kind of technical ball players in Smith Rowe on the left, Odegaard in the center, and Saka on the right, behind our lone striker in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And it looked quite good. I was really happy with what I saw from that. I was kind of worried because Nicola Pepe has been kind of our biggest goal creating player, goal creator this season so far, which isn't really saying much, but he would, he didn't feature in the lineup. So we put Saka in maybe his more natural position on the right. He looked really good there, I thought. And we're able to keep Smith Rowe and Odegaard in the field at the same time, who are both kind of our two tens, even though they both don't wear the number 10. Yeah, I mean, that was interesting to see Shaka coming straight back into the team. Basically, everything else remained the same besides the Shaka change and the Saka um, taking Pepe's place in the front three. Yeah, no, sorry. I didn't want to interrupt your flow. Go for it. You had a good... um, I am seeing the largest link-up trio here being between Odegaard, Saka, and Tomiyasu. Oh, that's interesting. Can can we just kind of gently bring in Tomiyasu into the conversation here? I'd love to. He had a very good game today. Yeah, Tomiyasu's had, I think he's faced 16 of his 16 attempts. He's won like 14 aerial duels. I think he's yet to be dribbled past in uh, the Premier League so far. He's like just really great defensively. Uh, I'm super happy with him. And especially considering his first game was against Norwich, but he got off the plane from Japan like two days before kickoff, trained one day, and then just was walked right into the team and has been one of our best defenders since like a firefighter <laughs> yeah so um yeah he's looked really good and yeah he just works his ass off uh, i really liked a lot um what i see because arsenal's on fire and he immediately stepped in and put out the fireman yeah Sorry, exactly. you look confused I yeah. was. that that is the analogy no because well when there's a fire we have to call japan <laughs> every time <laughs> and they have to send all their fire that's why so many of our buildings burned down yeah, it's because it takes it's so really long fun. yeah outsourcing is uh, it sucks <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we've gone from conceding a, to to put it as they would on TV a shitload of goals to less than a shitload of goals. Mm-hmm. One goal over the last three matches compared to the paltry showing we had at the start of the season: five to City, two to Chelsea, two to Brentford. So yeah, that record was really bad. Gabriel came in as our left-sided center back. Tomiyasu came in as our right back. Ramsdale's been the keeper. And that defensive core looks 
rejuvenated to say the least. So I'm really happy with that. They look much more solid and they're really your springboard that you use to go forward and attack. So if you're defensively sound, like you're feeling a lot better taking chances uh, going forward. So I think that's kind of, you know, inadvertently unlocking some of our attacking threat. It's kind of like your offensive line. Like if you don't have an offensive line as a football team, you have a bad football team most of the time. So, you know, you start with a good solid defense and you build from there. Speaking of the Lions, Ravens. That's, <laughs> anyway, sorry. You know, the, the, the Detroit Lions lost to the Baltimore Ravens in a Detroit Lions... Highway robbery That's yeah. what it was. We're not going to talk about Absolute it. Absolute joke. F- yeah, so it's not important. It is important. The rest are against us. That's not important. So... <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned the defense is a springboard. Can you tell me why is Ben White a better spring now? He was a bad spring, but now he's better spring. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, Tomiyasu and Gabrielle. Gabrielle can run uh, somewhat. We didn't have somebody who could run uh, to the left of Ben White before, so he was often finding himself on an island uh, when Pablo Mari was his... Uh, pairing there in, in the two center backs. Tomiyasu is a more defensive-minded right back than like Callum Chambers was or Cedric. So I think they both kind of provide a nice cushion. They're both, you know, I guess like I've said, they're both uh, very defensive-minded players and they've been good. I mean, they've been really good. Um, I think Gabriel is pretty imperious. He's great in the air. Um, he tracks players well. And Tomiyasu is basically the same. So I think they both kind of enable White to step out and do a little more of his thing, which is kind of the quote unquote ball playing center back. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Granite Jaka, you mentioned composed, uh, uncharacteristically uh, stolid <laughs> and ESR, uh, some great link up play with Pierre Emekobamiang, who was allowed to do his thing. Martin Odegaard, another playmaker, but Kyle Saka, Arsenal's golden egg. I, I, I'm circling back to the last player, Thomas Party. Yeah. The biggest thing I noticed about this was Thomas Party was just laying these long diagonal passes, just bombing them down the field, and they were just they were fantastic. Uh, and Aubameyang was getting on them. Um, in my layman's opinion, Party is allowing Aubameyang to be unlocked as a player now. Mm-hmm. And is this true? Am I right? I yeah, I think so. I I think yeah, he like he does like so many things like. Party likes to take more risks with his passing and his like longer passes where he's like trying to break the lines are like, uh, they're so nice. Like, I don't know. I, I love to watch, the, watch him with the ball because he does, he finds the space, he finds an open player and you know, he does a great job of getting it to him. I think what he does that we were missing is that he passes the ball straight. He's kicking the ball towards the, the middle of the field where Aubameyang is instead of playing him out to the wings or um, trying to pepper the wings with getting the balls to uh, Smith Rowe or Tierney uh, or Saka. So he, he likes to put the ball into more dangerous areas like zone 14, which is what we've talked about. And yeah, I think that kind of gives us a more direct attacking intent that gives us a little more teeth because we are a traditionally very slow attacking team. We build up very slowly. We can do a lot of passes and by the time, you know, we've gotten into uh, an area where you might want to take a shot, all of the team's defense is back and, you know, set up. So I think Party just kind of gives us a little bit more speed going forward. Talking about taking risks, Party is tied for the player with the second most amount of shots that game. 
<laughs> yeah, he does like to take shots from very long distances. And this was like a running joke last year that he was like, because he, he, they were all just going way over the goal, like way over the goal. And it was like, yeah. you know, oh, Thomas Party is going to shoot it into the moon or something. There you go. <laughs> he's got the leg for it. That's for sure. Yeah, he does. And I think like he's like, okay at that but i don't really love to see that as much from him uh he's still i think he's just so desperate to score for arsenal that he takes these every now and then but i, I i'm looking at the team sheet and i'm not seeing an obvious player that's dangerous from outside the 18 who is it jacob i'm i i'm not sure i mean like martin odegaard has the only goal really oh no. dangerous from the outside of the 18 yeah yeah i mean grant shaka scored one against chelsea last year off of a set piece but yeah we, we don't really have long ball shooters in a team that's that's the thing about arsenal yeah they always try and walk it in that's it's true i mean yeah it's that it's a bit of a fault and i i really like the the game i like the win but i i do wonder a bit about the balance between arsenal doing the right things which i think they did in this game i saw there's I was very happy with the performance and also sort of Spurs just maybe like not getting it right with their tactics. I'm not saying that the players were bad. I think Spurs on paper probably have a better team. You know, this wouldn't be a discussion about the North London Derby if we're not going to dunk on Tottenham a bit. So can you, can you you talk about what the Spurs did wrong? What players didn't show up to play? Deli Ali. Okay. Uh, He played a half. And he was like a ghost, man. I I haven't really seen a statistical performance um, from him. I don't really know all the numbers, but just from watching the game, I don't know that I noticed any impact that Deli Ali was able to have uh, in possession. Deli Ali had zero shots on target or on goal, period. He had one successful tackle, and that is all the data I'm seeing right now. Yeah, it usually takes them. He only really played the first half. Yep, he's. I think he subbed off after forty-five minutes. It's it's hard to analyze because, you know, I think Nuno maybe got some things wrong. We were finding tons of space on the wings. You know, the Aubameyang pass to Smith Rowe. Smith Rowe was played into a wide open area of the pitch, and it was like one on three or two on three. Let's let's discuss that for a second because that one that one was just wild to me. Yeah. Uh, Smith Rowe is in the eighteen. Yeah. And he's running forward. Yes. Eric Deer, in all's wisdom, decides to also run backward <laughs> yeah. to give him more room inside his own 18. Yeah. What is that about? I don't know. I mean, like, not like, you know, I'm saying, like, what the hell is that about? You're a, you're a starting center back, and you're also running with the player in your own 18? Yeah. You got to close that down. You do. You got you to gotta shut that shit down. Eventually, you've got to stop backpedaling. Yeah. And yeah, I think the convenience of the 18 yard mark is that there's a line there that tells you once you've hit it. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, so now we're in the bad zone. We're in the bad zone, (laughs) not the cool zone. Not the cool zone. Yeah, I think he's been kind of under a lot of scrutiny um, and maybe deservedly so. I haven't seen a lot of uh, Spurs games this year, but yeah, I think he's been one that's been a bit, yeah, uh, scrutinized for his play. I think also watching that goal, Davidson Sanchez, the way the that Smith Rowe goal works is he he gets into the box and then he cuts to the to Saka who has the ball uh, who's on like the right side of the box and Sanchez just doesn't track him at all and it just leaves him the space and 
I, I, throw I, like a I, nice... I wrote down, I wrote down in my notes because that, that, that kind of aligns with what you're saying. Do, 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 do. Willing to close down, but not to dispossess. And so they would get close and be like, I got you now, but you know, just don't do anything. And yeah. then the player would kind of just like whoever had the ball, right. would just kind of be like, if you're not going to close me down, I'm going to make a play. Yeah. And that's what Arsenal did. Yeah. They took their chances. And I think, Arsenal's attack like ran pretty hot. Like we got three goals, um, so uh, I, I don't. <laughs> we got three goals on like not three xg from what I saw. So um, <laughs> yeah. it was like one. It was like one point four yeah. or something. So like I think we ran pretty hot on the day. But like you, you see where our goals came from, and they were places where if you get a shot off, like it's. It's you. You don't like to see that if it's uh, yeah. your team being shot at. Like, it's uh, it's tough playing Nuno ball if you're if you go down a goal and yeah, you, then you have to open yourself up and that's that, that Santos doesn't like to do that and uh, I think you, you said you said it yourself. He got some stuff wrong and I mean he tried to uh, you know recalibrate, but I mean Son got a goal, but you know at the what seventy fifth minute. Yeah, it was late, yeah. and they didn't really have a chance to like mount a comeback. It, I think I think the second half was better for them, but it's really hard to, to judge once you're down three nil. You know how what are the impact of subs? Because well, Arsenal are sitting back trying yeah. to play more defensively. They weren't you know need in need of goals, right? So right. it's hard to say if that played out for ninety minutes, what would have happened? But well, let's talk about the subs for a second because I, I I've marked two players that. Uh, might not be on people's radars. Uh, and that's Oliver Skip and Brian Gill. They are, or Jill, I don't know. He's uh, he's Spanish. Or like heel or something. Yeah. Um, but these are heel. two players that have been featured subs or occasional starters for Tottenham this season. And uh, you might not be familiar with them because they're very new. Uh, and let's just briefly talk about them because you're going to see them more uh, as you watch Tottenham games. Oliver Skip is an English box-to-box midfielder that specializes in long ball passing and uh, being the man that closes down on the other mid- offensive midfielders. Uh, he's going to be your guy that tries to dispossess players. He's going to be your guy that tries to pull off crazy assists in the box from like way outside. He's a very consistent. You might not see him in a uh, highlights reel, for all of Tottenham's goals, but he's going to be the guy that's just the couple seconds before that. And so uh, I think this will be a great uh, addition to Tottenham's squad going forward. And he's going to be one to watch. I mean, both these guys are, but he especially because Tottenham under Santos is going to need a guy exactly like this. Um, like that's literally the key player in you know Spirit of Santos's you know tactics. Who would have been that at Wolves? Who would have been that at Wolves? Probably Ruben Neves, right? No, not Ruben Neves. Give me a second. I gotta. Can we bring up the Joao Moutinho? Moutinho, that's a good one. I am looking for a Wolves game to look at their lineup right now. Yeah, Moutinho would probably be the most similar one. Uh, you're not gonna see. I mean, you might like. I mean, he will occasionally because like. Soccer is essentially a sport of random events, but uh, I, Oliver Skibbit will will not be trying to create or take a shot. He's yeah. going to be a guy that tries to open up a player to take a shot, and he's going to be this quietly consistent player that you might not see 
in an obvious sense. Brian Heal, on the other hand, will be that guy. He is a left winger that specializes in dribbling around players, uh, using his speed, and he looks like one of the Beatles. Dude, I was like, so you like during your spiel about uh, Skip, I was like looking up people who he looked like. He yeah. looks like Dimitri Martin to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> He's got like the same. Do you know who that is? He's like got like the same exact haircut yeah. as Dimitri Martin. Yeah, I got it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like like the 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 C-list actor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a. Uh, I saw him do like a stand-up show. Uh, he's actually like, pretty funny, but like he's got this like same exact haircut as Brian Gill does. See, I thought hey, he does look like a beetle. I think I think that's a good one too. Uh, because like they've got that. Um, they've got he's got like the mustache. Yeah, and he's got the. Why am I only getting George Harrison? Yeah, like just pick one. He looks like <laughs> all of them. Yeah, he looks like if all of the Beatles got melted down and <laughs> yeah, like f- poured then, into and, one man, and then you just put like a weird like mustache on him. Yeah, <laughs> very Spanish looking. Anyway, yeah. So he he's like a very tricky, very flashy winger, and he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and he's going to be a goal threat. Um, something that as he gets older and Santos maybe leaves. Um, another manager that might be more progressive, say Mauricio Pochettino, as an example, totally random, that he's going to really flourish. If these guys stay here, if they prove their quality, if they are able to consistently perform, and being that I noticed these two guys because they were the same exact sub pairing last game for Tottenham, I think they might be long-term investments, which is good because, I mean, they might be about to lose a certain Ari Kane and he might be on the way out. So, you know, the more signings for the future, the better. Do you have anything more to add on this game, Blair? I have a, I have a statement. Okay, yeah. I got something. Spurs signed a center back this summer, Christian Romero. They did, yeah. From Atlanta for 42 million pounds. Mm-hmm. Christian Romero was on the bench for them this week. Um, so I'm not sure what's up with that. If they're still working on integrating him into the squad, but their center backs didn't perform very well this game. And you might even say they performed bad. Yeah. And so I think if I was a Spurs fan, which thank God I'm not, (laughs) thank the, thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, no, sorry. Uh, but if I was a Spurs fan, I think I would want my club spending 42 million pound million pounds on a player that would be playing. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's the situation there. I think he's played in a few like of the conference league games for them, but I feel like whatever it is that they're seeing from him cannot be much worse than what Sanchez and Dyer were offering uh, this week and have been over the last few weeks. So. Yeah, I think most of this fan base for the Spurs agree that Deer's on the way out. Yeah. Uh, so I think unless he starts putting forward some crazy performances, Eric Deer might be in a dire situation yeah just flip the the e and the r <laughs> that's what you got yeah i'm i'm funny uh so i, th- I think uh, romero will be there just give him some time you know I, I, again it's early yep. and uh i mean center back center backs are one of those things where you have to be totally in sync with your partner otherwise the entire back line's uh screwed so i th- say give it some time and start to worry around you know t- uh, match day 10 yeah, things aren't happening. Um, but yeah, you are right. It is weird. Speaking of players are not performing. I totally forgot. We have to talk about Harry Kane because how can you not? Harry Kane abysmal today in 
one of the worst performances I've seen him in a Spurs shirt. He was non-existent the time he the times he did have a ball. He literally would stumble, give it away, and have that lead to an Arsenal goal in one specific instance. Yeah. He looks like a man that doesn't want to play for Spurs. You might think, why? You might think, hey, didn't he want to leave Spurs? He'd be right. What's going on, Blair? I can't make head to tails of it. Yeah, he he didn't look totally engaged. He, I mean, like you could make the argument that like he was still working hard. Uh, I mean, on the soccer goal, he tracks all the way back and tries to tackle him in the box, which, you know, I mean, it slows soccer down and he kind of gets lucky bounce back to him yeah. for a goal. But like, you know, I mean, he's your striker like Kane, you know, he will drop deep, but like, that's like, he's doing somebody else's job, you know? Right. Yeah, I think like, that's not why he's supposed to be there. No, he's, he's there and he's doing that because he's pissed at his center backs. Yep. Yeah. He very much is trying to send the message like, Hey, you're not doing your job. So I'll do it for you. Yeah. If I, you know, like fine, I'll do it myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the culmination of Kane at Spurs. Honestly, like he's a player who has been like near the top of the league. Um, for a good part of his career. He's obviously one of the best goal scorers in the league and his time is running out on his career. Led the league in goals and assists last year. Pretty damn good. Goals and assists. Yeah. In a, in a Jose Mourinho team. (laughs) Let's be clear. Yeah. Which is the more impressive part. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, he's captain of England's national team. Yep. You know, he's, he's like, he's England's favorite son. Yeah, but he, uh, except for son, uh, but <laughs> um, yeah. but he hasn't gotten the accolades and the trophies that would come with okay. having this sort of pedigree. Yeah. So, you know, this is like very much another Jack Reelis situation where he's loyal to his club um, and he's trying to balance that. But he's also a super talented player who very obviously wants to go off and... Uh, seek glory a journalist i follow on twitter uh grace robertson she has a lot of great stuff you should go read her stuff definitely follow her she likened harry kane if this keeps happening he's going to enter the quote zaha zone where, uh, yep uh after a while this player who's very good will get to the age where it, he's no longer worth an investment for other clubs and he's going to slowly fade off into a trophyless career at the same club for the rest of his uh, time. And that did certainly looking like a possibility after this summer. So we will watch Harry Kane's career with great interest and hope something pans out maybe, probably not at Tottenham, such as the legacy of the Spurs. And uh, It's Spurs, mate. We will move on after that dig. Yeah, so that wraps up the episode. We're also going to add some bonus content for Champions League picks, uh, what to watch on Tuesday and Wednesday. You can find that on Instagram TV, IGTV, and you can get that at our Instagram right here. And I'm pointing at the sign, but I'll also say it for our audio listeners. Shit. Last <laughs> podcast. Do you want to see it? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you can uh, you can get our Champions League picks on IGTV, uh, Instagram TV at Plastics Podcast, and you'll get you know some brief takes on the teams, what we're gonna watch on Tuesday and Wednesday, 
And then additionally, later, we'll go over some tactical analysis on those teams to give you some oversight if you didn't happen to catch the games, if you were busy at work, all that jazz. Great. Um, okay. Blair, do you have any last-minute thoughts, opinions, analysis, sonnets, uh, you know, brief confessions of love? No. No. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't. But I d- not confessions of love, but I do have one thing, Jacob. Okay. We've talked about a lot of important teams this week. I there's still a game tomorrow, and if Brighton beat Crystal Palace, they go top of the table, first place. What? Top of the table, top of the table, top of the table, <laughs> top of the table. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> um, which is absolutely the shit that we're here for. I am all the way in on that. So um, I will be cheering for the Brighton boys, the Seagulls, the uh, Hollister lads. It's the same Seagull as Hollister. The clothes. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It really bothers me, actually. But Graham Potters, um, Harry Potters, uh, Wizards against the Crystal Palace. The Crystal Palace uh, was actually a palace designed in the outskirts of London that was entirely made of glass and steel and was an attraction for uh, tourists. And it was later that the first life-size dinosaur drawings were erected right by them, which were fantastically incorrect in nature. I thought it was a road on Mario Kart. That is Rainbow Road. That sounds like a terrible place to go visit. (laughs) What's the... The draw was that it was a, it looked and shined like a crystal palace in an industrial age London that was dreary and filled with smokestacks. So in that age, when you get this shiny house, it's very cool. And at the time it was in the outskirts. Oh, that's the crystal palace. I just Googled an image, searched it. Yeah. Fun facts. So that's why when the stadium was erected nearby, the team was like, hey, What's a clear identifying part for our team? Crystal Palace, duh, everyone knows that. That's what we are. We're an inanimate object. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's, that's interesting. It's like yeah. some uh, weird Fun facts like, with utopianism Jacob. stuff. Okay, uh, yeah, Blair, do you have anything else to add outside of the Brighton boys being, uh, those Brighton boys being back at it again with uh, going top of the table, top of the table? <laughs> Yeah, Brighton boys, definitely check them out tomorrow. Good luck to them. No offense to Patrick Vieira and crew. Also, Arsenal now are ahead of Tottenham on the table after being at the bottom when they were at the top. Yeah, that was uh, was horrific, wasn't it? We've reached the inflection point. Um, Critical mass. Yeah, I will drink to that. How about you, Jacob? Uh, I've got nothing to add. I'm excited for Champions League this week. I do have something to add. Oh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I'm going to put my Arsenal hat back on and say that the Arsenal women absolutely fucking smashed Manchester City today. That's good. 5-0. Tobin Heath made an appearance. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I will. I will. I want to talk more about it. So we may also have something else for that this week. Yeah, some more content coming out. Yes. Hot, new, fresh. Yes, piping. off the presses. But let's go Arsenal. Yeah. Up the gunners. Up the gunners, baby. All right, well, it's been real, and it's been fun, and it's been a while, and it's late on a Monday here. It's quarter to 11 p.m. 
Uh, it is so late. I think it's Monday. It's a quarter to 11 at a, on a Sunday. Uh, I have to go get some sleep and then go to work tomorrow. So this has been a lot of fun recording. And we will catch you all later. Cheers. Mr. Joel and me tell